Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I'm talking to Katie Hall, who is a current PhD student. I wanted to talk to Katie for lots of different reasons, for her own journey into the process, which is a fascinating one, her innovative uh, research work that she's carrying out, but also because she's had experience of being a part-time student um, and the challenges of that and how she has negotiated that. So in this episode, we talk about the PhD as a self-development process and how to balance that with other commitments around it and find space for deep work. Uh, we are also joined at one point by my kitten, so I do apologise for the uh, rustles and nudges which he has added to this episode, and I do hope that you enjoy it. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on to talk. I am so genuinely so excited to talk to you oh, about this. Thank um, you for having me. Oh, it's lovely. Um, once again, how lovely is this to just be able to talk to people about things that um, are exciting? Because um, we came across each other on the Techne programme, um, it's called Breathing Space, and it's about kind of just looking at well-being in the PhD process. And you very kindly said that you would come on and talk about um, transitioning from being a part-time student to being a full-time student, because I know that that is a, is, it's a challenge for a lot of people to be part-time, and then they're thinking, well, should I go full-time? Um, so I thought that would be really useful for people to, to hear. But also secretly, actually, well, actually not so secretly, I really wanted to talk to you more also about your methodology for your PhD and the subject, because it is fascinating. Um, so thank you very much for agreeing to, to do all of that. Um, and we always start with just asking people about their journey. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your journey into your PhD? I can. Uh, it's quite extended because uh, I, I'm quite old. <laughs> well, sometimes I feel quite old. Um, so I turned 40 this year and I'm feeling those numbers. Uh, that is not old. Can I just say that, everybody? <laughs> Let's just all remember that 40 is very young. I think this is quite important. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, it means there's a lot of history leading up to getting to the point of PhD. Um, so hopefully that will be of interest and definitely also informs some of the decisions around part-time and full-time PhD work as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I did my sort of standard undergraduate um, degree between 18 and 21 and I did English at Warwick and I loved it and I loved university and I did loads of extracurricular stuff um, but I ended up going straight into the workplace because the thought of postgraduate education just didn't ever cross my mind there were like people around me doing masters but it wasn't something that was immediately within my frame of reference outside of university and I just thought oh that's not for me that's for those really clever <laughs> students mm -hmm. and I'm not one of those um but I I did 
going to work that I really enjoyed and I started working in students unions um, which I loved and are, are great places to work especially at that early career stage but I think that for me was partly around still feeling that connection to higher education right Um, And then I ended up working in sort of that sphere in the voluntary sector for around 16 years. And I did mostly communications roles and management roles, which is very typical of an English literature graduate. Um, Met lots of English literature graduates along my way. Um, But at the same time, I always did my creative writing. Um, I did some of that undergraduate. So Warwick was just emerging in its creative writing program at the time. So I just missed the point at which it became very established. But I was there at the early days and got to take a few modules and I loved it. Um, And I knew writing was always going to be important to me, but it always felt like a hobby. Um, So I kind of continued it as a hobby outside of working and did writing workshops and wrote little bits and pieces here and there. Um, And then about, I guess, six or seven years ago, I started to feel that it was really important to me and a really big part of my identity and something that I didn't want to compromise against having to work full time. Um, So I reduced my hours at work and my wife at the time and I set up um, an online platform, which is sort of like a magazine for lesbian, bi and queer women, which I was the editor in chief of. And that was about writing and commissioning lots of content uh, relevant to lesbian lifestyle. So uh, lots of things like reviews of events, reviews of books and films and TV and got to go to some amazing events and write about them and interview some incredible women within the community and important to the community. And I really thrived doing that, but it was still very much a hobby Um, (laughs) and very much an additional thing outside of work. And that was, you know, a lot to juggle, kind of almost like having two full-time jobs in a way. Um, And, but it, it pointed to me that there were opportunities to make writing as a career Mm. and that became sort of began to get more and more important to me and at the same time MA's masters in writing and creative writing were starting to become popular so back when I was an undergraduate there weren't creative writing MA's really then there were like maybe one or two but they weren't a thing Um, And I think probably about six or seven years ago, maybe a bit longer, they started to become a thing. And I thought, oh, I'd love to take a career break and do an MA in creative writing. But financially, I just wasn't in that position to do that. Um, But my writing continued and I started to get some more success and included in some anthologies. And I wrote and produced a web series um, which was a real passion project. So it's the UK's first lesbian sort of content web series. And it went down quite well. And we made it, you know, I fundraised for it, made sort of developed the budget, made it with a, a team of contributors, collaborators, and it was a fantastic experience. And I thought that was five years ago. I just thought I need to do this. I need to nice. be writing and nice. producing and creating. Mm. And then I got really ill. I got cancer um, right at that same time that we were releasing the web series. I was diagnosed and Mm. that at the same time turned everything around as well. 
and I thought right I need to prioritize me Mm. now because this is telling me life is too short and you can't spend too much time trying to make an unhappy or a tense situation or where you're kind of compromising too much on working in a career that isn't giving you the satisfaction anymore against your hobby Mm-hmm. And those two things were kind of becoming more and more of a tension against each other. Mm. Um, and I thought I need to make a change now as part of my recovery, really, as part of that, um, having sort of the physical treatment, I need to also have a mental recovery from this experience. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I also ended up leaving my wife um, and there were lots of reasons for that. But one of the reasons was that she wasn't on board with me making that decision to prioritize a happy career for myself Um, and I thought no I need to do this Um, and then shortly after that I had the chance to to take a voluntary redundancy um, in my career and but just to say the caveat is that my workplace were incredibly supportive of all of my extracurricular activities and were really flexible about time letting me use annual leave creatively and letting me kind of reduce and scale my hours up and down. Um, so I can't, couldn't have asked for more from them really. And then there was a massive restructure and they wanted me to stay, but I thought I've got a chance here <laughs> to right. make away right. Right. with a bit of a cushion because I'd been there six years. Right. Um, and they were very kindly without any resistance, let me take voluntary redundancy. Um, mm-hmm. And that was just, that was the, the, the catalyst I think the thing that I needed to go right this is my chance to get out of work and have some time off reflect and do something else and do the MA mm. and be financially able to do the masters mm. um, and I thought go on. well I was just going to say I think that this is I'm sure this will resonate with lots of people is this kind of hollering of your heart that is with you for a long time PhDs are just so often about passion I think if you ask someone what their PhD is it tells you a lot about themselves and yet often it is something that yeah that's that it's there you know it's in your heart but you kind of go "Mm, well it's not really for me not really sensible not really all of those kind of things and that sense of actually that life situation for you that you gave yourself permission and said, yeah, actually, do you know what? I am going to do this. I am going to go forward. I'm going to find a way forward, which is amazing. What a yeah, story. I, I agree. And I think that's that's a really important part. And partly I think like, I had to wait also till it was the right time mm. for other reasons and so not just financial, mm. not just the marriage, <laughs> yeah. not just yeah. lots of other things. I think I had to be ready for it. And yeah. I wasn't ready until then either. So all of those things came together at the right time for me. And I was 37 at that point. I, you know, was going back to uni to, as a as a mature student. And I made the very kind decision to myself to do the master's part-time. Right. Because for writing MA, you often have to produce 40,000 words mm. in a year. And I hadn't ever done that. And that felt like a lot. And I thought, no, I want to slow this down and enjoy it. Mm. So doing the master's part time was about thinking, right, I can savour this. I can make the most of all the other opportunities that there are being back at university. So it's not just the course. It's you can audit modules and sit in on other classes. You can go to research seminars and other events. 
I ended mm. up doing my MA back at Warwick and um, so I commuted from London but once or twice a week but I actually enjoyed the commute because that driving time gave me headspace to mm. think about my writing and studying um, and then when I was on campus nothing was ever pressured it was really you know really able to savour it um, but also like I deliberately chose I, to go back to Warwick having I did visit a few campuses but I thought I want to go somewhere that feels like home right. um, and right. there was something in that feeling myself being in that space and also I think being away from my normal environment was quite helpful as well to reconnect to some of those other parts of me that I'd let go by the wayside so kind of my love of working in the library and being around other people doing cool things and also Warwick has a massive art centre so it is a thriving hub of kind of culture um, as well which can be limited outside of London sometimes I think or not known about outside of London so um, there were lots of reasons. And I think again what you're saying there is so important in terms of the PhD as a personal development journey which I think we don't talk about very much um, and that actually that sense of I love your word savouring that sense of being in it and just immersing yourself in that process in your own thinking taking on material um and taking on experiences and adjust that what a what a fantastic way to go into this yeah I was really fortunate I was able to do that I mean there were things at the back of my mind so one of those things was this could be the starting point of a career change and very quickly into it I thought I don't want to go back to a nine-to-five career um, and I really enjoy this and is academia a possible route for me and a career for me and there is a thing called a creative writing PhD now wow is that something I can do um, so that very quickly started to come in into play and it had sort of been part of my intention um, but I think straight away I thought no I feel at home in this space and I need to to experience and grow this side of me that I've sort of left dormant for a long time. So tell us then about this way in this creative writing PhD which I am just fascinated by. Um, yeah tell us a little bit about your project and how you're going um I, I do have to apologise because my kitten has decided that um, he wants to join in with this, <laughs> with this interview. <laughs> um, and so if you can hear banging, that is, that's what it oh, is. Oh, OK. He's, right. he's, Just keeping a kitten entertained as well. He's, he's decided he, he wants to tap the microphone. I, I think he, yeah, he wants to be part of it all. But, all right. Uh, we'll, we, uh, we'll factor that in. <laughs> but, yes, please tell us um, more about this, this creative writing process um and the, the kind of methodology that you're evolving for your work yeah I mean so in some ways it seems like a bit of a dream doing a PhD in creative writing because it's and and this particular project as well because it's something I've, I've wanted to do for a long time and to merge that into an actual PhD research practice based but research project has been just wonderful so um 
For a long time, I've always thought my friendships with other women have been such important parts of my life and I have wanted to honour them in some way and I knew I wanted to write about them but I never knew how I would do that. And then a few years ago, I went to a book launch with Gillian Anderson and Jennifer Nadal and amazing names just to say fantastic (laughs) women got to meet them afterwards which was lovely (laughs) and um got to hear what they were saying about empowering women and I just thought yes that's the sort of frame I want to hang my stories off really it's about celebrating what friendships give us but more than that I think I was thinking about some of my friendships might be considered unconventional they've gone on very different journeys there's lots of intimate details that are part of those friendships Um, and I wanted to express I think my championing of friendships that are outside of a heteronormative norm um, and that valuing those moments of unconventionality where friendships are outside of a platonic boundary perhaps and become different things that might be romantic or sexual and what that means and have time to reflect on some of that and what that's given me and how that's made me a better person Mm. and in doing so be a manifesto for these kinds of friendships really and say we need more of them in the world because they make me feel stronger and these are the friendships that make me feel I can dismantle the patriarchy and overcome some of those massive barriers that exist in the world for women and females and non-binary people. Um, Yeah. Got this amazing content, which you are working with. Um, And then not only that, you are working with it in an innovative way. So the kind of the methodology that you're creating is, is innovative too. Yeah, so obviously memoir and autobiography and confessional writing is a well-established form and it's been adopted by women as quite a feminist methodology over the decades. And I really wanted to present the information in a different way and I didn't know what that looked like for quite a long time. And then um, after really thinking about it right up until the point I started the PhD, I started to think about a patchwork quilt initially and the idea that a patchwork quilt is made of very like small individual squares that have their own story but then all contribute to a bigger picture that if you step away from you can see Mm. and I thought that's that's the narrative structure it's individual standalone stories that come together and can be looked at from multiple perspectives and different ways and also there is an increasing interest in microfiction and flash fiction and short contained stories so it's sort of tapping into a trend that exists in the marketplace at the moment um, and I think attention spans of readers can be mixed so being able to pick up a book and just read one or two pages and get something whole from it is quite appealing to readers as well sometimes as well as that those sections contributing to a bigger whole so I thought okay that's what I want to do I want to break down these stories into small events because otherwise how do you go right I'm writing about these and those seven to ten friendships and I don't really want to go right we met on this day and then we did this and then we did that and 
be quite boring <laughs> sort of the case study of the friendship I wanted it to not be boring as well and I thought what's important are key moments so if I can distill some of that key key moments and then create I don't know 10 10 or so micro chapters about a whole friendship that's broken up into individual parts that's one thing and then in terms of my research I've got really interested in drawing from other disciplines and a, a kind of interdisciplinary interdisciplinary approach so using different forms as well so I already wanted to write some of it as poetry some of it as maybe letters some of it as monologues so I was already thinking about form but on top of that trying to draw from other styles and forms from other disciplines so one of the stories is written as code for example one of the sections will be probably a glossary um manifesto actual form is going to be one of the the modes and, and I'm sure there's gonna be many more that I come across in my research as well and just trying to tell stories in different ways I love that so I love that this is kind of this, this experimental um material well not experimental material but you're kind of you're breaking new grounds in the material but you're also working kind of formally and the methodology is experimental too fantastic and so not only are you doing all of that <laughs> you also were doing that part-time and so we yeah. kind of come into this key bit now how do you do that how what are the the well what in your experience those kind of challenges of being a part-time student um, and perhaps how what were some of the the strategies that you found to work with that and perhaps how different how is it different now you're full-time does it th- does it throw things into perspective for you it is it is different um so I had to do it part-time because financially I didn't have another choice and that was a tough decision actually to start with because the overall time pressure means the PhD then takes six or so years Mm. and I was 39 when I started the PhD and I thought I'm not going to finish till I'm 45 and that felt quite monumental Um, but it was the only option and I just had to bite the bullet and go with it Mm. Um, and then so I also had a part-time job or two part-time jobs so I was working three-ish days a week uh, on paid work other projects and then only had two days a week last year really on the PhD up until COVID and lockdown and then it all kind of changed mm, mm. Um, so it's really difficult the, the biggest challenge for me early on was the mental headspace of moving from a day of paid work to a day of PhD right. and the paid work had quite specific demands on my time which was hard so I couldn't choose the days I worked for example I needed to be in the office on specific days that my employer asked for um, which meant I then had specific days for the PhD Mm. and and rarely had two days in a row even Um, so that switching in and out just takes time yes and we you know we know that I I still have that now being full-time and switching between different sections of my PhD or or types of work for it I find hard so and doing that between completely different roles um was tough but the work that I had was very different and I think that was a critical thing Mm. so doing a job that's the opposite of the PhD and it was it was using a different part of my brain it was very much a left brain job 
um, sort of doing numbers and data and quantitative things. And I found that quite helpful because it meant my qualitative right brain logical uh, creative side sorry was getting a rest yes, yes and could kind of be working in the background while the other bit of my brain was using so definitely having a contrasting job was a big part of I think the success because when I'd worked before in my so when I went full-time doing a cons role and particularly the the more senior I got that was very draining and left little creative energy mm. in non-work time to do mm. writing and I found I was doing less and less because more of that creative right brain side was being used at work and drained and not leaving anything. So I didn't want to repeat that. Um, but, though, you know, it's difficult because there's things that you know you're not going to be able to go to. So I had to work on a Wednesday. That meant I would automatically miss any interesting workshops, um, seminars, events that happened on a Wednesday or a Friday. So you're immediately cutting sort of things that you won't be able to take part in. Um, and that's that's quite a big compromise. Yes. Um, and then also you've got to align more things for time off. So you're not just going to one employer and saying, I want next week off. You've got to go, right, is that a good week to take a week off uni and week, and work? Um, you know, am I making the most of my downtime in that way? Um, certainly try not to get into habits of using all annual leave from work to do stuff for uni because then you'll never have a rest or a holiday Um, sort of those big considerations and then when lockdown happened that was a huge change because all of a sudden I'd gone from either working in an office or normally in the library on campus to working everything at home um, so the space for my paid work also was the space for my PhD and that was a big culture shock um, because it's like- had that useful as you said and actually for some people that that actually can be a useful um, strategy to have to have another project going on in order to kind of alternate the energy yeah but actually as you say being all in the same place the same kind of feel that then brings it brings challenges yeah it does it's really difficult might makes it much harder to distinguish I'm doing that this in this block of time and that in that block of time um and I switched my working pattern to work a little bit every day rather than on fixed days um because that made more sense and actually gave more time for the PhD but it created the problem of I'm going from this to that on the same space on the same laptop in in sort of you know in the same mind frame how do I make a transition and how Um, did you you think did you find any ways to one of the things I was really lucky was um work gave us all laptops eventually and so having a separate computer right it's quite was quite a helpful thing um so I would turn the work one on do a couple of hours work close it down put it away um and then start elsewhere so that those kind of key transitional activities whatever they are are really important I planned my daily exercise um not as good about that now but at the time I planned my daily exercise to be the break in between as well so to make sure I was getting outside and doing something 
and switching off from one thing to the other. I think those um, transitions are so important. Are they transitioning yeah. from one thing to another? They're, they're hugely important. So whatever I think you can do, whether it's just going downstairs and having a tea break, you know, having lunch, going outside for a short walk, wh- whatever it might be, a very clear tra- transition where your body and your mind know I've going from one thing to another mm. um, are, are crucial. Being Learning to be boundaried is the other thing and saying no. So I think particularly when you're part-time, it can be really tempting to go, oh, I could work a few more hours and get a bit more money. But then there's a price, which is that you have less time for your PhD. So jiggling kind of what's right for you um, and knowing it doesn't have to be the same every week and you don't don't force yourself to commit to a particular position on that either. I think be a, allow yourself and give yourself permission to be flexible um, on what works. And think about you know your own strategies does it work best for you to have a few days in a row on the PhD in which case can you schedule your work to be um, sort of work around that so what's what's your priority what are you putting first um, I got I into some also oh, sorry Go on. Oh, I, no, I just say that's the gorgeous gift of doing the PhD is kind of you're your own boss yes that's also the problem of being the PhD because mm. you're the own, your own boss and you you need to find your own way through. So that sense of what works for you and also what, like you say, what works for you in that moment and then what works for you, it might be different then in a different phase. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, I constantly feel guilty, <laughs> even now yeah. I'm full time. I think possibly even more now that I'm full time. That's interesting. I feel guilty that when I'm really not doing PhD. Yeah, I think that's quite common um, you know, I'm not doing enough. I should be doing more. That that horrible word should. Um, I've not progressed as far as I could. And now I'm full time. I, I feel even more accountable. Yeah. I think for me, I suppose one of the risks or one of the unknowns of being part time was it was much less clear how much I should be doing, could be doing, how far I should progress um, because you've got so, so much longer to complete the task. Um, and I also found like I couldn't do more than one thing at a time. So my, my PhD is kind of mostly made up of three main areas of work. So the reading, the creative writing, and then the critical writing and doing it part time. It was one, one thing a week, if I was lucky if I didn't have a workshop to go to or other training to go to that week. Um, so you feel like you can only make progress in one one area at a time, which can feel quite frustrating as well. Mm. Although you're making progress. <laughs> yes, you, everything you do is progress and it's all part of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, I think the best bit of advice that I've heard in one of one of the many workshops I've attended is that your PhD isn't your thesis. Your PhD is developing you as a researcher. That is, yes. Everything is valuable um, and it's not just the thesis. Although that's one of the end products, it's not the only end product. And being as rounded and getting as much on the experience as possible is more important than, you know, the perfect thesis. Oh, I love that. 
Yes, that sense of this, as we said, as a personal development journey that you will end up in a much different place than when you start um, and and you'll also have a thesis. <laughs> exactly, exactly that, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's one bit of golden advice. I, so um, we're going to get more than our money's worth for you then because I always end with asking people for um, for a top tip. Um, so what will be your top tip for people, especially if they if they are working part time on their PhD at the moment? Um, there's two things. So try not to constantly compare against what everyone else is doing, mm. everyone else's practice and progress. Mm. And talking about that personal development, part of the journey is developing your own discipline. Mm. Um, and what's right for you and you won't know what that is on day one and that's going to come through experimentation and trial and error um, and might not be the same today as it is tomorrow as well but figuring out what's right for you without sort of worrying about what everyone else is doing I think is key and you'll get lots of advice yeah you'll get lots of advice thrown at you and you'll attend lots of workshops and read lots of things that have lots of tips and things but only use what's relevant discard everything that doesn't sound right that isn't helpful that doesn't fit for you Mm. and just discard it only take from all of that advice what works for you Mm. Um, and I've read reread actually a really good book called deep work by a man called cal newport and i think what i particularly take away from that is he doesn't advocate one way of doing it Mm. he promotes a few different frameworks um, and some of those are really pertinent to part-time workers or people that are juggling multiple responsibilities and how can you go deep into work when you're not just doing the one and only thing um, so it's quite realistic in terms of working out ways to develop different strategies and that goes from sort of a macro level of the year to a micro level of of a week um, so taking there's some good things it's really uh, practical as well doesn't that. it get some really practical advice in there yep. too exactly excellent oh thank you so much it it just there's so much in this in this conversation in terms of your your own story the work that you're doing and that your kind of your reflections on that that part-time full-time dynamic thank you so much Katie my pleasure and I wish you all the best with thank your you research much. um and thank you all for listening <laughs> <laughs>